Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Yardage Podcast as a pregame show. How about that? But that's what you get on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network with myself, Mark Lane, joined as always by Sean Martin. And this week, since it's a Monday nighter, we bring in Christy Scales, sideline reporter on the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network. Christy, thanks for joining us. Mark, Sean, you bet. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's become a tradition going back to last year because we had you on the Monday night for the Giants game, then the Monday night for the wild card game. So it's a Monday night, you know, may as well bring Christy back. Well, I think, you know, I'm a Texas Aggie, and so we're big on tradition, and that's the thing at campus. You learn that uh, in fish camp going into your freshman year, that anything that happens twice on campus automatically becomes a tradition. So, yeah. So, yes, I'm glad to be part of your tradition. Thank now you. We're, now we're talking like – we're not talking about <clears throat> exclusive, exclusive, a different kind of fish, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Fish camp is so fish are freshmen. So Texas A&M with my last name being scales, my entire freshman year, I was fish scales. Oh, you're fish scales. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah. So, yeah. So not not exactly the best last name as a freshman, but the Texas A&M back in the day, uh, up until the 19, mid, uh, early 1960s, um, it was all male and it was a Corps of Cadets. And so it's a heavy, uh, you know, ROTC and military tradition and background. So a lot of the uh, old things that you talk about or the terminology that we still use 60 something years uh, later after uh, the campus changed. Uh, of course, we still have the Corps of Cadets. We still have ROTC. There are women uh, in it. But um, there's maybe like 3,000 of them now out of 60,000 on campus. So the uh, cadets are outnumbered, but much of their lore and tradition lives on. So fish camp is what you go to in the summer. You learn all of the yells, the traditions. And the main thing is to make sure that you get a date for the first uh football game <laughs> in August. So, um, and it's off at a place in uh, East Texas. And so it's basically going off for summer camp with other uh, incoming freshmen and learning all about the school and uh, where to go on campus. And it's really a cool thing. I am going to find the most random time possible to call our managing editor, OJ Ochoa, who's also a Texas a and MLM affiss because I've known him for years and he never told me about that term. It's the first I'm hearing about this. And so now I'm just going to have to wait for the right time to uh, bring back that memory for him. Well, senior, seniors are elephants, so there's all sorts. Anyway, it's it's silly, but that's all right. People want to hear about cowboys and what's going to happen tonight. Yes, with Aggie tradition, it's ingrained. With some cowboys' behaviors, it's epigenetic, kind of like panicking after getting shellacked in prime time by the cream of the conference. So you get the feeling that a loss tonight to the Chargers means everybody should go out and buy storable food. I'll have a promo code uh, at the Real Mark Lane on Twitter if that's the case. Um, but if Dallas wins, Christy, it just seems like, well, yeah, but. So what needs to happen for this team, for this fan base to shake this um, – monkey that's climbed onto their back now for the season. Yeah. And the other thing is with the bye coming up after this week, two consecutive losses and being 500 would uh, be a real, real blow. So it would be even worse. But the one of the first things that Dan Quinn, the Cowboy defensive coordinator, talked about coming out of that shellacking by the 49ers was don't let one loss become two. And by that, he meant have it carrying over all these lingering effects. One thing that was interesting this week is when you, you know, leading into tonight's with a Monday night, you get an extra day of practice, right? So you would have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your walkthrough uh, yesterday, Sunday morning before we flew out here. So um, 
you would have an extra day to get ready for the upcoming opponent, work on the Chargers on Wednesday. Not this week, after that really horrible loss last week. Instead of the 24-hour rule, where, where by the end of Monday, you're rid of what happened with the 49ers, what the Cowboys did, they went ahead and had their regular day off on Tuesday, but they used Wednesday as an additional correction day. And they got a little bit on the, the chargers, but really the first day of game plan install was not until Thursday. So that's that's a different uh, approach in the past, um, even under McCarthy. And I can't remember that ever happening with any of the previous coaches. I've been around since 91 with Cowboys Radio, so I, I, I don't really remember two full days of correction um, on either side of the player's day off. So that's how um, – Seriously, they were taking what happened last week and, uh, you know, the corrections uh, obviously get rid of the uh, turnovers, (laughs) Um, get rid of the big plays allowed. They gave up a lot of long plays, big shots on defense. They weren't able to get him in uh, uh, long down and distance on third down. And so uh, San Francisco was able to sustain drives uh, on offense. So there are a lot of things that you can go through. But anytime the Cowboys have a loss, it's kind of like an episode of CSI, right? So for this, CSI, the star, CSI Frisco. So you have this dead body, this corpse after a loss. And then you, uh, instead of 24 hours to dissect, we actually had more like a 72-hour period. Well, not only that, but it's almost like Pet Cemetery because this Niners loss is going to follow them. You know, they'll bring it up at the end of the year too. Well, it, it will. But, you know, you, you look at where the uh, 49ers were five games into last season and look at the way that they were able to turn it around. And then, uh, you know, they make this deal for Christian McCaffrey. Brock Purdy turns into the next uh, great thing. Who would have ever predicted that? He wasn't supposed to see the field last year. So things can be a lot different 12 weeks from now. And the Cowboys better hope so because they um, they were not up to snuff. They, it, it, it went, to me, guys, what was really disappointing about last week with the 49ers was everyone talked about it being a measuring stick game. Uh, several of the players, Mike McCarthy himself, other the coordinators and Jerry Jones. I mean, even on the pregame show, 30 minutes before kickoff talking about a measuring stick game and other than Trayvon Diggs being on injured reserve, they were pretty much at full strength. You had your offensive lineman back. So, you know, that loss in uh, Arizona a couple weeks earlier, well, we were missing three starters on the offensive line and, you know, we weren't healthy. We were missing that, you know, these kind of built in excuses, but that was not the case going into San Francisco, and they got their tails kicked. So to me, that's what was really disappointing was it was pretty much strength on strength, and they fell flat on their face. Going into it, putting they, they did put a lot of eggs in that basket, and they were rotten. Yeah, you mentioned the extended kind of postmortem on the 49ers loss. I kind of want to hone in on that from the defensive side of the ball where you noted, you know, Dan Quinn, don't let this become two losses, and now he turns around and game plans against, you know, an old friend, if you will, and Kellen Moore. We'll talk more about that later, but how much do you think this defense is, you know, still just kind of adjusting to what their role has to be? That's been a hot topic this week on, you know, McCarthy commenting about the balance that he seeks in this team and how the run game is supposed to rest the defense and how the defense is supposed to respond. We know they can play with the lead. We know they're at their best when you jump out like you did against Giants, Patriots, and the Jets, but you know, how much is this defense, you know, doing that postmortem and doing now their sort of prep time for the Chargers, kind of trying to still, you know, establish what they need to be on this team, what they can do better to, you know, win close games, which is really where this team is struggling right now. Well, I think that what San Francisco showed, same thing with Arizona two weeks earlier, this team is not good enough to win just one phase, one of three phases and win the game. They really have to play complementary football, and that was the last thing that we saw at San Francisco, especially with that offense. You know, so many three and outs and then three interceptions. The game really didn't get away from them until uh, those turnovers happened in the second half. I mean, they were still kind of in there and had a chance until it got away. But um, to me, the thing about the defense is if they're not getting the takeaways and setting up the offense – 
I mean, it's well known, the red zone struggles the first four weeks. And then in week five at San Francisco, they couldn't even get in the red zone. But here's the thing about the defense. What worries me is Leighton Vander Esch missing extended time. And, you know, he's the signal caller of the defense, one of the green dot, you know, the green dot guy that takes the calls. The communication is so important um, back there. Uh, I'm, I think it'll be interesting to see how much Micah plays off the ball, how many snaps he gets at linebacker this week. I think he'll get some, not exclusively at linebacker. I think he'll still probably play mostly at defensive end. But you have more depth at the – uh, on the defensive line rotation, particularly at defensive end, that you can um, you need him less there. You need him more at linebacker because of the depth at linebacker. So what I think is going to happen is with Leighton playing the middle linebacker role that you would have Damone Clark, who's the starter alongside Leighton, have him move over and kind of assume a lot of Leighton's duties um, at that middle linebacker role. And then we'll see um, – Marquise Bell, we'll see Malik Jefferson, we'll see, and my prediction is a little bit of Micah. It'll be interesting to see if they elevate Rashawn Evans, the former first-round pick from Tennessee, the guy from Alabama. They signed him to the practice squad last week. Um, you know, I, th- I think he'll eventually work in uh, to this defense, but that linebacker rotation is going to be um, very interesting, and the communication is going to be so important moving forward. Um, be, because uh, Leighton was so instrumental in that. Yeah, I'm glad you went to the linebacker position, position first when breaking down this defense. That's what I was going to ask about when it comes to Parsons, when his, how his role may change and the dominoes that fall after that. But I think that's the you know hidden layer, hidden yardage, if you will, to why a lot of fans have been thrown off by you know McCarthy saying that they want to run the ball and kind of play this traditional way of, you know, run it, rest your defense. It's like, well, yeah, that is a very traditional way of looking at the game and he's that type of coach, but Dan Quinn and this Cowboys defense don't play a traditional, you know, lineup or style. The linebacker position is a hybrid of a lot of, you know, safety type players. And yeah, you mentioned a couple of traditional type linebackers there, but not a lot of players that have those reps. So, you know, opposing teams aren't as discouraged right now, especially the 49ers, of course, from running the ball right at this Cowboys defense because of that. And that's why, you know, the idea of this offense needs to be the one that puts up points and lets them play from ahead. Is it going to be their best run defense and not, you know, just lining up in a, you know, heavy run defense set, heavy linebacker set. That's never been how Quinn has done so. And now even more without, uh, Yeah, and I think you're right, Sean. And the other thing is, what have we seen where the other teams have had some success running the ball? Run it at Micah. (laughs) And then if you have, you know, uh, I like Sam Williams, but if he's not setting the edge, you know. Um, So uh, there's been plenty of blame to go around uh, individually and collectively in the two losses. But, um, you know, I – I think you're right about not having the traditional linebackers. And so uh, the J Ron curses and, and uh, the way that they can utilize him going to a heavy nickel. Um, I mean, Jordan Lewis is still your nickel back, but when you go to dime and, and, you know, when you can bring those safeties down, those bigger guys or have Marquise Bell um, in there, he's really was with safety and now moved to linebacker, but can still match up on tight ends and things like that. I think that the heavier um, nickel and dime packages will help against the the run game as well. You know, you talk about the defense and it does have its vulnerabilities, but it does have an identity. We know what the defense's calling card is. We know what it does well. Can we really say that about the offense, Christy? I mean, what is this offense right now? What's their calling card? It felt like last year when you had Ezekiel Elliott, you you assuredly were going to pick up short yardage or have an impact in the red zone, goal-to-go situations. But with this offense, I just don't feel like it does anything particularly well at this point. It's kind of like a gangly kid that's um, – you know, hit its growth spurt at about 14, heading into his eighth grade year, you know. There's signs of what could be good, but overall it's just still awkward. (laughs) 
I love that analogy, Mark. That's actually really perfect. But yeah, it's hard for us, the three of us, to come up with an answer when C.D. Lamb can't even come up with an answer. I mean, he's, you know, he's asked the same question. Hmm. And he's like, I don't know. Dak Prescott was asked the question on Friday afternoon after practice. And he says, you know, we're one, we want to run the ball. Um, I want to get rid of the ball uh, quickly and get it out in space and let guys uh, uh, make plays after the catch. So that was Dak's answer. Now you're saying, what about taking shots down the field? Well, that's that's not really the primary thing, but I will say that there were, what, four shots, five shots down the field, if you include the 26-yard touchdown to Turpin last week at San Francisco. But the other ones, a couple to Gallup, a couple to Cooks. That one to Cooks was intercepted there late in the game, um, or in the second half, excuse me. But um, – you know, and another one was thrown out of bounds. You, you, they tried to take some shots, and it, it was all but that one to Turpin. Just, ugh, it was pretty ugly. So, uh, yeah, you're, I think that that awkward phase is exactly right. But you're in game six now. <laughs> we don't have time to be that gangly teenager. I mean, it's time to ask somebody to homecoming, okay? You got to you got to get past that awkward phase and become the stud that's going to get the hot girl to go with you to homecoming cuz um the, the you can't fall too much uh more behind the Eagles and by the way, Washington, you know, uh, Giants look terrible, but Washington may hang in there in the East and anyway, uh, it's very frustrating because we're asking the same question about offensive identity. That's been the question this past week, and it's hard to get an answer. And that's the problem is when the players themselves have trouble coming up with that answer. Do you think the key to, you know, being that homecoming king is the run game in this offense? Because, you know, the past game, listen, I hear all the fans frustration and commenters are blogging the boys about, being frustrated that we've done the same thing with Kellen Moore. We can screenshot away at, you know, route concepts that are unimaginative, but yet Kellen's offense put up points. So I'm still willing to give it time in the Mike McCarthy pass offense that that isn't as big of an issue as it's being talked about and that they can continue to score points at some point here with Dak Prescott throwing the ball. But do you think the run game is, you know, still missing something and what can they do to bring it out against the Chargers? Well, um, it's absolutely key because so much is based off of play action. And if the defense doesn't respect the run game, if your run game isn't working that game, uh, then, you know, they don't have to, uh, you know, the linebackers are going to drop back. (laughs) You know, you're not going to be able to hit, uh, go over the linebackers and drop those passes in. So, yeah, play uh, just because of the way when your run game is working, when you can go to the play action off of that, that's a real key. And there's really only been, what, a couple of games where it was like that. But to be honest, the, the Cowboys' wins were blowouts, and it was set up with defensive touchdowns and uh, touchdown on special teams or big play on special teams. So we really haven't, you know, the, the times that they've really needed it, the two losses – they hadn't been able to establish the run. Yeah, there was a point in the 49ers game where, I mean, even the score dictated that you weren't going to be running the ball, but even without that, it seemed like there was a point where, because of the concerns over the pass rush, even with the offensive line playing at full strength too, you had to pretty much keep Tony Pollard and your tight ends in the pass protect, and that was almost scripted, and you could tell you know the ball wasn't going to Pollard out of the backfield, and the 49ers really teed off on you know being able to cover uh, just a couple of outs that were out there in the pattern, and making it a difficult night with the three interceptions for Dak Prescott. So, yeah, definitely agree with you there on the play action, getting Prescott out of the pocket, all things that, you know, have been a lot of talk and no-so so far. And like you said, for six weeks, it's really time to start showing uh, what this offense can do. Yeah, and you're right about, um, you know, what you guys had said about Kellen Moore and putting points on the board. He's doing that with the Chargers, you know. And so tonight is not one of these ones. Yeah, This can be a high-scoring game tonight. Or I think it will, <laughs> you know, um, 
and I've really been looking forward to this one uh, ever since the, I mean, we, we knew last year that we'd be uh, coming out, that we're playing AFC West and that we're playing the Chargers. But one of my favorite things from the previous year was uh, training camp 2022. Not only did we play the Chargers in preseason, but that's when we went from Oxnard down to Costa Mesa uh, for a week of practice. We had two practices uh, down there with the Chargers. So uh, I stayed over there. There are the two football fields side by side. And so I stayed over on the side where it was Cowboys defense going against the Chargers offense because I wanted to see Justin Herbert up close. And of course, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, them having Austin Eckler back is such a key. You know, he'd been sidelined since week one with that high ankle sprain. But um, just as big a threat receiving the ball. He was their leading receiver last year. Uh, so he's as big a threat receiving the ball as, as running the ball. But Herbert, oh, my gosh. You know, when Kellen Moore, um, you know, left Dallas and, and then the next day signs with the Chargers, I'm like, oh, my gosh. If Justin Herbert put up some numbers before, just wait till Kellen gets there. So, And, you know, Kellen will have some extra things up his sleeve tonight. So it's really going to be – uh, fun to watch. Uh, maybe not if you're a Cowboy fan or if you're Dan Quinn and the defenders having to go against it, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a real treat. I can't wait to for this game to get kicked off. Also worth noting the Chargers are off a bye coming into this game during Kellen Moore's time with the yeah. with the Cowboys. They were 3-1 and one after the bye when he was the offensive coordinator and they averaged 29 points per game in those games and those wins as well. So you know, 30 might be the magic number to hit. Yeah, really important. Their bye week coming so early. Normally, you don't want it after four weeks. But um, not only Eckler, um, Derwin James, uh, you know, missing a game. They, they're secondary. Man, they, they've really been hit hard. And then, of course, missing uh, Joey Bosa. But Justin Herbert with that uh, broken finger on his left hand. So, um, not taking snaps under center at practice last week leading into this. That happened in the second quarter of their win over the Raiders. And so, um, you know, played with that splint over the left middle finger and took the snaps out of shotgun so he didn't have to take them from under center. I think there was one snap on like a short yardage play where he was under center. But so it'll be interesting. You know, they're, they're just – the timing was fortuitous – not just because of Herbert's finger and with Austin Eckler coming back and things like that, but fortuitous timing because they the injury bug has uh, hit them in September. Yeah, and it tends to bite everybody. Um, but with the Cowboys, you look at what you talked about, which was Kellen Moore and, you know, fireworks and so forth. But I was wondering – is the defense, do they have an advantage going against Kellen Moore? Because, uh, you know, Dan Quinn was in the building with this guy for the past two years. So he understands what, you know, some of the things that Kellen Moore wants to do, how he wants to manage a game. Or, you know, do you think that the Cowboys defense is going to be at the disadvantage. I think the Cowboys defense is at the disadvantage because here's the thing. Quinn may know what Kellen Moore wants to do, but Quinn doesn't have the familiarity with those offensive pieces for the Chargers. Whereas Kellen Moore knows the Cowboys defenders because other than a couple of changes, right, in the offseason, Stephon Gilmore, um, you know, uh, he, he knows what to expect of those defensive players or, you know, um, has an appreciation for their different skill sets. So, uh, yeah, Dan Quinn knows some of Kellen Moore, but when he doesn't know how he's going to utilize those guys, or, you know, this is an uncommon opponent. We only play the Chargers. Yes, we did play them two years ago out there. You know, it was different when going to the 17-game schedule. But normally you don't play an AFC opponent except once every four years. So an uncommon opponent, and um, they've only had the four games instead of the five. So uh, I, I say Kellen Moore has the advantage because of his familiarity with Cowboys defensive players, seeing them in practice uh, every day these previous several years, the ones that are still. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, that might be the kind of unpopular opinion answer to that, but I'm with you as well on thinking it's a disadvantage slightly for this Cowboys defense because I think the narrative, you know, going in, you won't hear this on Monday Night Countdown or DSBN guys or the Manning cast talking about it, but, you know, the narrative will be, when Cowboys fans confident the defense can perform in this game, that Kellen never had, you know, the counterplays, right? Kellen can't adjust to, in real time, what the defense is doing, and so that's where Quinn will find his advantage. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's true. I think it's, you know, Kellen knows has had the right counters. That's why they consistently put up points. It's just, you know, through the long slog of a full season. Yeah. Eventually some of those things ran tired, but within, you know, the four quarters of this important game for both teams. Yeah. I think Kellen's going to have the answers to, uh, you know, really make it difficult at times for the Cowboys defense. I'm with you a hundred percent, Sean. I think that the Kellen became the whipping boy last year and even a little bit the year before, <laughs> you know, you win 12 yeah. games, you're one of the top scoring teams. Oh, and by the way, you didn't have your starting quarterback for five games, and yet look at what they put up. So the the people that advance that narrative, they, I don't mean to be rude about it, but they don't know what they're talking about. I think some of it was near the end of the season. That's when it got, it just really gained a bunch of traction. And if only he could have had the same success that he was having in the beginning of the year, near the end of the year, and you saw it with some of those fancy play calls, you know, it might have turned out differently. Yeah, you know, but, you know, it's one reason you look back towards the end of last season and why the Cowboys knew that they needed to upgrade at wide receiver. (laughs) That became real apparent towards the end of last year. And then, frankly, Zeke wasn't Zeke anymore. And, uh, you know, Pollard carried the load, but you, you saw what happened uh, in the San Francisco playoff game after he got hurt. So, um, but one thing, you know, talk about upgrading the offense. Brandon Cooks, he's not putting up numbers. He's still affecting games with his speed. And everyone in the building is the first to say that he's, you know, because everyone's kind of down on Cooks. Man, he's not, he's not really doing anything. Well, not statistically, but he's still affecting games. But I, I'm real anxious to see him, them, I don't want to say target him more because you don't want to force the ball to him, right? Uh, but the, just I think there are too many games where Michael Gallup disappears. And with C.D. Lamb, you know, he – it seems like it's it's hot or cold with CD, you know, statistically, 10 catches or eight catches or not a lot. And, and um, he did speak to the media Friday, finally. Um, I think people were a little, when they were talking about him uh, being standoffish on the sideline in San Francisco, I think that was a little bit overblown. Um, but uh, – I think he's going to have a good game tonight just because um, he knows what people have said. And uh, again, they're not going to force the ball to him, but I I think this could be a really big game for the Cowboys uh, passing attack because I mentioned before the injury situation that the uh, chargers have been in and and it's really hit their secondary more than any other place. And they are, um, uh, last in the league pass defense. So they're really lacking there. So this could be a uh, matchup wise, uh, a time for this passing game to get a little healthier. So I look forward to that in this game. Well, the thing that uh, Mark Lane from universe eight, three, two always said about 
Brandon Cooks was he was the only guy, like the only target in Houston's passing attack for the past two years. And in 2021, you know, he still produced um, a thousand yards in that graveyard of an offense. Uh, he had some availability issues last year, but still you figure as kind of the number two or three at worst option in Dallas's offense that, you know, that's perfect for him to be able to have a breakout game at some point. And and it could be, it could be this one, you know, but he's really not getting that, that many targets to be honest, you know? So, um, you know, nine targets, come on, <laughs> or excuse me, nine catches, 73 yards. So I need to look up the number of, of targets, but, um, again, you know, like you say, he's, you're, you're right, Mark. I mean, the, the compliment that you hear from teammates and from coaches is that he's a pro's pro, right? And just the way he goes about his business. And even though he hasn't gotten a lot of targets and he's uh, down statistically with just the nine catches, he's not complaining about it. So um, I'd like to see, um, you know, that kind of attitude and professionalism rewarded with, uh, you know, some more chances in the game to uh, affect the outcome. So again, not force it, but um, there were, I mentioned the two long targets last week that one was a really poor uh, decision and throw on the interception. And then the other one uh, deep down the left side was uh, out of bounds. So uh, they, they do need his speed to uh, take the top off the defense. You know, this is somewhat nuanced, but, you know, since you have vantage point, doing these games is the sideline. I wanted to ask you, you know, the dynamic of, and this could be nothing, and you could say it as such, but, you know, obviously Mike McCarthy is the play caller for the offense this year. It's a big deal. And, of course, being the head coach, too, he's, he's there on the sideline. Dan Quinn calls the defense from the box. So what's it, is there anything you, know, you notice in that dynamic, you know, CDLM's frustration of kind of taken the head on in this topic and the pressure off of, you know, anything else that might be going on internally on the sidelines. But, you know, when things are out of sync, what, what they were so much against San Francisco, where neither side of the ball is doing their job and the defense can't find his footing, but it's because the offense is punting after three and outs all the time. You know, what's that dynamic like right now, knowing that, you know, last year it was, you know, Kellen, Quinn and then the separate entity of McCarthy kind of holding it all together. Now it's a very clear distinction of, you know, when the offense is struggling, McCarthy is right there with his players, but he's with the defense too. But then the defensive play caller who, you know, isn't without blame in a 49ers game too is is uh, up there in the box. Has that kind of changed anything that's noticeable from your vantage point? Yeah, McCarthy doesn't really do stuff with the, the defensive players. He will come over and speak briefly with um, Scott Tolzien. That's the quarterback's coach. So he's down um, on the sideline. And so, um, uh, but, you know, with uh, John Fossil, the special teams coordinator, he helps with um, some of the game management as well. So he, you know, is a veteran, reliable guy. So if, but but with the communication set up and with the headsets, it's not like McCarthy's really going to miss anything. But um, you, you do not see him really over on the defensive. The, the, when you're when you're standing on the Cowboys sideline, you got the Gatorade buckets in the middle, right? The 50 yard line. The offense is on the left. The defense is on the right. At the far ends of the benches are the uh, defensive linemen. So left to right, it would go um, offensive line, tight ends. Uh, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, and then on the right side, it's uh, cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, and defensive end, defensive line on the far right. And so, um, and then you have your position group coaches for each one. There has been one change this year. Jeff Blasco, who's the running backs coach, he's been on, on medical leave of absence for just over a month now. So uh, I believe he was there for the first two games, maybe only the first game. But um, Evan Harrington, who's an assistant, um, he, he uh, offensive assistant, he basically has taken over helping with the running backs down on the sidelines. So I would say that's the one main logistical change that we've seen 
uh, so far this year through the first five games, but mainly that's because of a health situation with Coach Blasco. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, these the attrition of the season, I mean, it's just kind of affected the Cowboys just at about every level. Yeah, when you can't – and then, you know, we had the one situation. I'd never seen this before, but – uh, the home game, I guess it was week three, or was it the Jets game, where uh, Sharif Floyd, he took over for Leon Led as our assistant defensive line coach, where he passed out on the sideline and ended up getting to spend a night at the Arlington Hospital uh, there. So it's like, golly, we can't even keep our coaches healthy. We're down two coaches so far. But Sharif was, um, he was just kept overnight for observation. He was okay. He was back at work during the week and uh, has been on the sideline for the game since that time. Yeah, and that's uh, that's really great to hear for Sharif Floyd. Um, particularly, you know, the career that he had, it was cut short, and then now he's got a chance to get into coaching. Um, it's a really good story. Yeah, it really is, and he's a super nice guy. Um, it, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, like, I think I may be one of the only media people that enjoys preseason games. I mean, not – necessarily the level of play that you see out there, especially in the second half, but um, it's, it's different on the sideline every year because you might have a difference in coach or two, you know, hopefully you don't have a wholesale changes. And then you also see the young guys as they progress through their career, step into leadership roles. And, uh, you know, Tony Pollard is the most obvious example with Zeke being gone, but but, um, you know, young guys that are vocal and uh, helping the rookies or first-year guys, you know, who were playing in those games and encouraging them on the sideline. And also in preseason, that'll be the time where the staff will do some experimentation like, um, well, this year it was uh, Dak Prescott calling the plays for the third preseason game. But in the past, uh, like they had Doug Nussmeyer call the game, I think the previous year for offense. So there's always little tweaks that they're doing. There's also often changes in technology and things that they'll be doing differently, like whether it's with those Surface tablets, um, whether it's uh, some of the communication changes that they have. They'll do some experimentation sometimes with the officiating crews like they'll purposefully work with a man down so that they can practice how to do it. If, if one of the officials were to be injured uh, during the season and you go with six officials instead of seven. So I think that they did that in week three preseason week three this year. So there's, there's always, there's always stuff happening down there. They're adding people to the medical staff. Um, you know, several years ago it was the unaffiliated neurological uh uh, neurotrauma consultants, right? The unks that wear the red hat that help with the um, cognitive evaluations when they're checking for concussions. So, so th- th- there are changes every year, and uh, it's a lot of minutia, but it's, it's kind of interesting. And you know, they're trying to make the game safer. And then the um, uh, with all the analytics, you know, I mean, gosh, we've got like six analytics people now that help in the game. And so they had to add more headsets up in the booth just because there are a lot, a lot of those guys are up there helping in the coaches booth. So it's different every year and that's what makes it kind of fun. It all makes it fun, whether it's analytics or the annals of the franchise. It's what makes the Dallas Cowboys very enjoyable. And with that said, we turn our attention to the Cowboys birthdays this week, Christy and Sean. um, Let's see. We start on game day today. D.D. Lewis turned 78 years old. He was a linebacker for weak side linebacker for the Cowboys from 68 to 81. Took over for Chuck Howley in 75 in that role, and he turned 78. I just, uh, when you say D.D. Lewis, I just go number 50, you know? Um, So when I was a kid, the 70s Cowboys, those were my heroes. And so I do remember one time I... Grew up, um, I moved to Dallas 
in 19, um, what was that? 76 or 78. I'm originally from Galveston, Texas, but the old practice facility before it moved to Valley Ranch in Irving in 1985, it was in our neighborhood in Northeast Dallas in Lake Highlands. It was Forest Lane at Abrams Road. And so I remember going up to um, the practice facility. It was two blocks from our junior high. So after our mighty Forest Meadow Charger uh, volleyball games or practice, walk two blocks up and hang out in the parking lot. And I distinctly remember when in the old Cowboy Official Weekly, remember, Mark, remember when it was like the newspaper format? And the, the, the centerfold was yes. actually a player. It was the headshot of the, the player. And so I remember that week it was D.D. Lewis, and I was so excited because uh, hanging out in the parking lot and after practice, D.D. Lewis signing my Cowboys Weekly. That was a really big deal for me uh, that particular season. I think that was probably 78 maybe. Ah, that's awesome. On Wednesday, uh, Mike Ditka, yes, everybody thinks of him as – Oh, the Chicago Bears and everything. But Mike Ditka played tight end for Dallas from 69 to 72 and then later was on the coaching staff until he got hired by the Chicago Bears. He turns 84 on Wednesday. And he's in the Hall of Fame, as you know, for being a tight end and not for being a coach. But I just remember him chomping gum all the time. When you see him, don't you see him on the sideline just – Smacking that gum. That's what I think of. He probably has the strongest jaw of all, any Hall of Famer in the Canton. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, the Saturday Night Live bit with the Bears. So, that, yeah. I, you, but you're right, Mark. Most people do associate him with the, the Bears. But uh, here in Dallas, we You want to talk about a throwback. When I would watch Cowboys games in the 2000s with my late father, he said – of Jason Witten, he said he reminded him of Mike Ditka, just with how tough he was. I mean, that's a compliment and a throwback, and like I don't even know anybody that could make that association. Well, Witten would be very flattered to hear that, I, and I think it's a great, uh, great compliment. I, I was telling the story we had a um, last Friday. We had some. Uh, guests, some corporate uh, partners that were in, and we were giving them a tour of the star. And Jason Witten, that famous play in Philadelphia where his helmet gets uh, knocked off and he runs like another 30 yards down the field and gets tackled at about the 10-yard line, there's a huge uh, image of that where he's running without his helmet. And it's the hallway. You walk underneath that giant picture of Jason when you head to the indoor stadium, the 12,000 seat Ford center. So the players walk under that image. And so I loved it. May I tell this story very quickly about this? Of course. So, Oh yeah. Okay. So Jason's wife, Michelle Witten, one of my all time favorite people and we're dear friends. And so Michelle and Jason were high school sweethearts. They got married when they were in college. And so, um, she's, she's football to the core. She's also, uh, well, before she had the four kids, uh, emergency room nurse at Parkland Hospital, which is the public hospital here in Dallas. So it gets all of the trauma, you know, the trauma cases, the serious stuff, it goes to Parkland. And she's used to the gunshot wounds and the stabbings. And by golly, she's even delivered a baby in the parking lot of Parkland Hospital. So anyway, so Michelle, Michelle, she, she sees a lot. Well, that I believe that was a night game, right? In Philadelphia, you know, and that game where Jason gets his helmet knocked off and the idiot runs 30 yards down the field without a helmet. So we would have probably gotten home about 4, 4.30 in the morning. So Jason Witten walks in the, the, the house and Michelle's, you know, there. What do you think Michelle said to her husband who ran 30 yards or so without a helmet. What do you think the emergency room nurse said to Jason? Oh, I probably wanted wanted them to go down, but you know, we all know that's not how football players work. Yeah. And, and that's not how a true football wife works. And this is why I love Michelle. Her words to Jason were, why didn't you score? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved it. Yeah. 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 She's, she's a great girl. Okay. Sorry, but I got off on the Mike Ditka and Jason Witten thing, but, uh, but yes, I think your dad was right, Mark. Great story. It was totally worth it. On Friday, Chad Hennings, 
Turns 58 years old, played defensive tackle from 92 to 2000. He uh, was drafted in 88, but uh, he had to serve his uh, commitment to the Air Force, uh, and he was a pretty good defensive tackle at that. Had seven sacks in 94, for example. Then on also Friday, Dexter Coakley, Pro Bowl linebacker with Dallas from 97 to 04, turns 51 years old on Friday. Those are your Cowboys' birthdays. So Chad Hennings, my fa- I've done a lot of events with Chad. We're friends, and and uh, I've heard him tell this story many times. So I do a lot of Q&As with them, so I always try and lead into this story. But um, you're right, he had to do his military commitment with the Air Force. So he flew the Warthogs um, there for Operation Provide Comfort. This is in the 90s with the Iraqi deal. So uh, when Saddam was going after the Kurds and stuff. Well, anyway, Chad, he's a defensive tackle, big guy, too big for these like jets. He didn't hit his... uh, real growth spurt until he was already in the air force and going through um, training and stuff as a pilot. Well, he was so big. And the concern was that the ejection seat could not get him out of the warthog. So his training at his size was if he ever had to use the um, ejection seat, had to turn the plane upside down fly upside down, hit the deal where it would shoot him straight down instead of straight up. No way. True story. I've heard him tell that story many times. Was hearing that, yeah. But great, great guy and still lives in the Dallas area, successful businessman, but also does a lot of public speaking as well. Yes, and that's where I've run into him as well. All right, before we get out of here, Christy, it's been great having you on. Uh, we here at the Hidden Yardage podcast not the indianapolis colts we are the keepers of the dayton triangles and um we've so we try to incorporate triangles into everything that we do so we have our triangles of triumph that we do after a win and so since we're just going to say dallas is going to win tonight uh to put those positive vibes out there uh we're doing our triangles of triumph now so with that being said Triangles of Triumph, your three Halloween candies, Christy. $100,000 bar, the craft caramels, just the individual caramels, you know, individually wrapped. And then um, I'm going to go against the grain here. And I know people hate candy corn, but come on, it's a holiday tradition. You ha- It has to be on any list. And you have to eat, you have to eat the, you have to eat the white part first. And then bite off the orange part and then the yellow part. Yeah, go go eat the bottom of a candle somewhere else. Is it is anyone with me? Is anyone with me on the candy corn or am I on the island? Uh yeah, I go go eat your candle somewhere else as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you don't like the candle wax candy corn? It's interesting because Al Michaels said the same thing on Thursday night football. He's like, you know, he won't eat a vegetable, but he'll eat candy corn. Well yeah. That's ridiculous. Like the fact that he swears, you know, that he's legitimately like almost never eating a vegetable. Like, I, I'm, I'm told that candy corn does count as a vegetable since it has corn in the name. It's I, corn. Hey, I'll have to tell him that next time I see him. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so how far am I off on? What do y'all think about the hundred thousand dollar bar? I mean, it is. I don't. It is the Cadillac of candy bars. I'm just sitting here a little bit baffled. I mean, all the stories you said today were great, Christy, and, you know, really great inside stuff on the game, everything as well. But that was one of the most, like, baffling candy list I've ever heard. Not that any, in a negative way or any of it besides candy corn is bad, but, you know, just not to hear any of the mainstream stuff in there. Or like, you know, mine's pretty basic. Uh, we'll get marks first, but, you know, I have some pretty basic stuff on mine. But that, that was baffling and interesting and all of those combined because there was some okay so mark what's your triangle all right so you gotta got the reese's peanut butter cups um you need some m&ms and you need a crunch bar those, those are my triangles of triumph Ooh, i like the crunch bar pick yeah i love crunch bar so take a crunch bar and add caramel and that's a hundred thousand dollar bar oh okay oh, okay I might be liking that then, yeah. You, you see, here's the thing: you guys don't know the hundred thousand dollar bar. It's in the red wrapper, and it's a it's a thick crunch. You know, it's it's a fat crunchy bar. You know, crunch, 
but it had it's filled with a caramel. Isn't there like a different thing called like hundred grand or like I don't I don't know. There's something else. Yeah, hundred grand. Yeah, hundred grand. Hundred thousand dollar bar. Hundred grand. Oh, okay. Yeah, same thing. Oh yeah, I think I've mm-hmm. vaguely seen those. I would definitely mm-hmm. pick one up next time I see it. Okay, I I like Mark's triangle, but to me that's like a I mean that's like a seven day a week thing. You know those three things. I call that Tuesday. So, you know, um, but you're asking for Halloween. So that's why I have to throw the curveball in with the, the candy corn. You won't see me eating it the other 364 days out of the year. Let me add a note to that then, because I also have Reese's in my triangle. But let's say to make it Halloween specific, it has to be the pumpkin shape ones because, you know, science has proven that pumpkin Reese's are better. So that's the be- next to Reese's footballs, which is the 1.1 draft pick of Reese's. Reese's pumpkin is the best. You know, better than the Christmas tree. Uh, pumpkin season is the peak. Reese's shape, and then my other two to complete the triangle is the Twix bar and then the Kit Kat. Because there's something better about the smaller version of the Kit Kat. You know, sometimes the full one is like too much. But yeah, those tiny individually wrapped Kit Kats, that's the ideal Kit Kat. So give me a Halloween triangle of Reese's, the Twix bar, which is definitely like you said, Christy, a day to day thing. That 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 could be a Tuesday afternoon candy bar, but Reese's, Twix, and Kit Kat. So doesn't Twix have the caramel in it? So it's basically a Kit Kat with caramel. Uh, kind of, yeah. It has like a cookie crunch. So, yeah. so, so my my $100,000 bar is the um, Nestle's Crunch with, uh, with the caramel. So same thing. See, we're on the same wavelength, Sean. Yeah, we all like a little bit of caramel in there. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, that's, uh, I think that those were some really good triangles that I heard. Yeah, so now now the thing will be um, when we get back from Los Angeles, I got to go buy the uh, candy for trick-or-treaters and then make sure that on October 31st, I turn the lights off and pretend I'm not home and don't answer the door and then eat all the candy ourselves. <laughs> there you go. My aunt, um, she is on her fourth bag of candy corn since September 28th. So, I mean, you know, it gets real serious. Well, I, that sounds, oh, I, boy, I don't know that I could eat it that often. Again, that's a one day. You, in fairness, though, you did say Halloween candy. I did. I did. Okay. Now, one thing that'll happen if we do this on Easter, I am not going peeps because that is just ridiculous. No, absolutely. Oh, not. no. Those people are crazy. What? Another 1.1 overall of candies, those little Cadbury eggs, that, that might be like one oh. of the best candies of all time, truly. Oh. Okay, if you say so. Well, we'll have to save that for Easter when the Easter Bunny will bring Christy Scales back to talk about Easter candy. It's a date. Where can folks find you, Christy, on Twitter? It's a date. At Christy Cowboy. So at K-R-I-S-T-I Cowboy. Well, Christy, it was awesome catching up with you. Really great inside stuff for this Chargers game. Hope uh, our listeners, of course, enjoy uh, being able to maybe have a bit of a free weekend here and then get into this game and start focusing on what's an important one for both teams, but especially the Cowboys, of course, uh, going into Monday night here. Well, well, thanks for bringing up all the chocolate guys. Just in talking about it for three minutes, I think I have three new pimples on my face just talking about <laughs> it. But, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I think it's going to be a great game. And uh, can't wait to see Justin Herbert and the Chargers and hopefully get to uh, talk to Kellen on the field before the game. He's, he's really a great dude. And uh, I know he's kind of – people think he's kind of quiet and stuff. He's actually wicked funny. So um, uh, hope to get to, to say hi to him tonight. And follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL, myself at the real Mark Lane on Twitter. So there it is.